happy besides me to be Christian? Yes. Amen. It, isn't God good to us? All the time. All the time. God is good. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, we're moving on uh, this time. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5. Uh, I'm, I'm going to speak about the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is... Uh, got its name because the word in the original language for blessed means uh, basically be happy. Happy is he. Uh, and uh, or, or blessed is he of the Lord. But blessing brings happiness. And so it's about the happiness. I'm going to read the first uh, 12 verses. That's the first uh, uh, segment. And we will read that, the first pericope. Now, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began, uh, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, including Jesus himself. So here we have uh, Jesus has been out doing miracles and, and, and bringing the gospel to different places. Uh, and, and now then it says that a crowd began to gather. Now, according to what I've read, this could actually be called the Sermon on a Hill rather than the Sermon on the Mount because there is no mountain mentioned here that uh, he was at, but he was in a mountainous or hillous uh, range, however you say that, hilly <laughs> uh, range. So he could have been on any, any of these banks, and we don't know which mountain for sure. But the point is that he was up higher, like the pulpit <laughs> is up a little bit higher, so that people can see and hear better. And so here he, the people began together, and his disciples came to him, and he began teaching them. Now, the others heard this, but he was primarily talking to his disciples, which, by the way, we all are his disciples. He's talking to us. And if you think about what he's saying here, he's really giving us a pattern of life. This is the way we should live. We should be poor in spirit. Well, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? You know, I prayed about that and I thought about that because I always, you know, think of poor as little or, or, or none. Well, in a sense, it does mean that. It means less of me and more of him. That's really the bottom line of being poor in spirit. I am out of the way. I get removed of my, my thoughts, my feelings, my wants, so that I can obey him and do what he commands, what he says is always right. When you're poor in spirit, you are humble before God. You, and when you're humble, it's not that you think bad of yourself. It just means you think about yourself less and about others and especially God more. So to be poor in spirit is to be humble before God. And he says there's a reward for that. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's going to inherit the kingdom of God, folks? We are the saved. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's us. So who's he talking to? He's talking to us. So he's giving us 
a guide to follow. He's telling us how we should live in this life so that we can receive the reward. Now, what he's saying is, is when you're saved, you are given a desire to do these things more so than when you're not. I don't know about you, but I can remember a time, and Mark can remember that time in my life too, (laughs) when I never thought about Jesus at all. Or if I did, it was because somebody invited me to church or somebody else was talking about him. But me, I was thinking about me and my pleasure and my fun, uh, my time. You know, this is my time. And, you know, uh, I thank God that he changed that in me. I used to not care what God thought. Now that's primarily all I care about. Somebody else may not like me. That's okay. As long as Jesus still loves me, I'm all right. Somebody else may not like what I say or what I do, but as long as it pleases Jesus, I'm okay. Now, if somebody informs me that what I'm doing makes Jesus unhappy, then I've got to think about it and pray about it <laughs> and make sure that I am not displeasing the Lord. But one thing we know, we must be humble before him, poor in spirit. We must humble ourselves. In other words, think of ourselves less and think more of him. One of the ways we do that is by spending more and more time with him in his word and in prayer. That keeps our minds and our hearts focused on him. When we sit down and begin to read novels or newspapers or watch the news or watch these filthy movies, and they all are anymore, uh, even some that's supposed to be Christian are filthy. And when we begin to watch those things, our minds are not on God anymore. You know why they call it amusement? What is muse? Anybody tell me what the word muse means? It means to think. What does awe mean when you put it before? Not. So when you are amused, you are not thinking. That's what amusement is, folks. That's what it means. You, in other words, you go there to the amusement park to take your mind off your troubles. Instead of dealing with them, uh, you take your mind off everything. You're not thinking. You're just having fun. Keep that thought in mind. Blessed are those who mourn. Wait a minute. What are we mourning about? Well, you're living a humble life before God. There is a possibility that you will see others who are not. (laughs) And that might break your heart for them because they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're going to inherit the kingdom of the devil. In other words, they're going to hell. That might break our heart. It should. It should break our heart to think about others who are deceived, believing a lie, and headed to hell. There are those who choose it. They will boldly tell you, yes, I want to go to hell. I've had devil worshipers tell me, I'm looking forward to going to hell. I said, well, you are now, but you won't be when you get there. (laughs) Uh, And that's been proven, by the way. (laughs) Uh, 
A man who's a minister these days, John Ramirez, used to be a high priest for the devil. He had all kinds of wicked power to do things. He could even kill people in his spirit. And one day, things began to happen and made him wonder if he made the right choice serving the devil. Because he saw that Jesus had maybe more power than the devil. And so, he told God that night before he went to bed, he said, I don't want you, I don't want nothing to do with you. I've made my choice. But if you can prove to me that you're greater than my father, the devil, I'll worship you for the rest of my life. That night, he left his body and went to hell. He said it was horrible smell. It was so hot that he couldn't hardly breathe, couldn't hardly stand it. And then he found himself on a train, riding train, going really, really fast. And there were people on there speaking in some kind of evil language, giving him messages from the devil, and he could understand it. <laughs> and it was horrible. He, he, he realized these people were telling him that the devil's going to discipline you because you prayed to Jesus. And then he found himself getting off the train, and he said it was just horrible, horrible. And then this beast, huge beast with horns and the head like a bull starts walking towards him, and he realized that was the one he chose to worship. And he was going to send him into the deeper parts of the flames of hell. But he said all of a sudden, a cross appeared in his hand. And he said he held that cross up and the devil just fell prostrate on the ground and wept. And then the dream was over. He got up. He burned everything he had that had to do with devil worship. And he wrote a letter. And he dated it. From this day forward, I give my life to Jesus Christ. I will live for him no matter what, even if I die. And he has kept that promise. And he is a good minister for Jesus. He teaches people how to avoid the snares of the devil because he's very familiar with them. It's a good book to read. Unmasking the devil. There's a copy of it in the library. We should mourn for those who live that lifestyle. And also, we may be mourning because others are mocking us and and abusing us. But he says, we will be comforted. Is that a future tense? We will be. Maybe not in this life, maybe not right now. But comfort is coming. Sometimes he grants it now. Other times we have to wait for it. But you know, we as a nation, as a people, I think as a globe (laughs) in general, we have lost the art of waiting for the good things in life. We want instantaneous blessing. We want instantaneous 
salvation. We want instantaneous everything. We want what we want, and we want it right now. We're a microwave people. We have uh, lost the idea that you can make plans for something to have a goal in the future and work towards it. Oh, no, no. I, I, you know, kids today, they're not going to buy that $500,000 home, $750,000 home in the future. They're going to get it now. And then they're going to go bankrupt. But, you know, <laughs> it's a trick of the devil. Why? Because in witchcraft, you don't have to wait for things very long. All you have to do is give your soul to the devil and he'll give you what you want temporarily. Then he'll jerk it out from under you and laugh at you. For Jesus, we are promised we have eternal life the moment we put our faith in him. We don't have to wait for that. Now, we wait for the fulfillment of our salvation when we leave this body behind, this tent we leave it behind, and then we go to be with the Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, now, wait a minute. Isn't being meek a bad thing? Isn't that like cowering down in fear of everybody and everything? No, it's not. To be meek, again, has an element of humility. And, you know, there's this idea. Think about God himself. He is the most powerful being that ever has, does, or ever will exist. He could crush us all with one thought. He could evaporate us. We would never have existed. He is strength that is under control. That's what being meek means. Having strength that is under control. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. We allow him to tell us when it's time to say something, when it's time to act, when it's time to do. We are meek. We have the strength. We have the ability to do lots of things. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. I have to learn that with my mouth still. <laughs> I have this problem sometimes. I say just what comes into my mind without thinking about it just happens but it says they will inherit the earth how do we inherit the earth i thought we were talking about going to heaven here i prayed about that and i know that there's lots of different opinions about this but what i feel like the lord told me is is here the earth represents mankind the cosmos how do we inherit that when we live for jesus the way that we should the Bible says that people look to us and they see God because we are representatives of him and therefore they're drawn to him. They're drawn to his righteousness. They're drawn to his goodness because it's been on display from us. Now I believe that's what this is referring to because when you're meek, Rather than slap for slap, punch for punch, we hold back and we pray for them and we forgive them. And that draws them in closer. Why would you do that? 
I've been so horrible to you. Why would you still be kind to me? Why would you still love me? Because you were created in the image of God just like me. And therefore you deserve respect. Your actions may not deserve respect, but just the very fact that you are created in the image of God means you deserve some kind of respect. And above all, you need to be redeemed. (laughs) And we will never help someone come to Christ by returning anger for anger. Never. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, now, how do you hunger and thirst for a thing like righteousness? Well, the same way you hunger and thirst for chocolate (laughs) or popcorn or pretty shoes or pretty flowery dresses or, uh, you know, a nice botany suit, whatever. We have to learn to have our desire, allow the Holy Spirit to change our desire to look for or lust after the good things, not the bad, not the things of this world, but the things of heaven. That's why we're told in another place that we are to look up. We are to focus on the things above, not on the things below. The devil has a way of luring us through all of the media today. There is not anywhere that I know of, other than unless you go to a strictly conservative Christian site, there's not a place where you can't go and find some talk about lesbians and and homosexuals and and, and on display, on every show, television show, every movie. Uh, and, and, and over and over again in these shows, you see people climbing in bed together that aren't married. That's been going on for years, folks. Uh, you know, uh, soap operas. <laughs> horrible things. It's horrible. The things they do, the things... And God is rarely, if ever, mentioned. And when he is, he's mocked. He's mocked. So we need to make sure that we have filters. And we need to protect ourselves. Turn the TV off, the hell box. Throw it out the window. (laughs) Be careful what you listen to and how you hear. The Bible says, be careful what you hear, what you hear, and how you hear. Otherwise, if you're not filtering it through the Word of God, you'll be deceived. Everything must be filtered through the Word of God. That's what it means to have a a, a Christian or biblical worldview. It means everything is filtered through the Word of God. If it doesn't line up, if it goes against the Word of God, we reject it. We want nothing to do with it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a promise there. Again, it's a future thing. They will be filled. But that doesn't mean that you have to wait for all of it. The more we we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the more we're given of it. The more desire we have for it. The more you spend time in the Word of God, the more you want to. 
The more you time you spend in prayer, the more you want to. The more time you spend in meditation with God, the more you want to. What he's saying is, come. I'm inviting you. Come to me. Come to me. And we take that first step and it gets a little easier. We take a second step and it gets a little easier. We take a third step and we just keep getting closer to God. And as we get closer, we just naturally have a stronger desire to please Him. A stronger desire for Him. In other words, we have a hunger and a thirst to please Him. The only way we can please Him is through faith. And that faith includes being righteous, doing righteousness. So, we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the things of God and the things of heaven, and leave the things of this world behind. They drag us down. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Oh my, you mean I'm supposed to be kind to those people I dislike so much? <laughs> yes. Yes. Even someone who spits on you, someone who throws mud at you, Somebody who screams and yells in your face. We still have to extend mercy to them and keep our mouth shut. And then when they're done, tell them, you know what? Jesus loves you anyway. Right now, I may be having a little hard time doing that, but Jesus does love you anyway. (laughs) But when we do that, we... Receive mercy. Another blessing of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, the Bible says that without faith and obedience, no one will see God. We must have pure, a pure heart. Well, I don't know if you notice or not, but all of these kind of seem to be in order, in an order. When you do one, then you start moving towards the second. Then you start moving towards the third. Then you start moving towards the fourth. It's not to say that some people can't do all these at the same time, but usually uh, it's a process. It's a growing process. We have to grow into these things. But to be pure in heart, you have to be seeking after righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, the things that you need, will be added unto you. Not the things that you want. I can't just pray a new car in my driveway, uh, you know, uh, just because that's what I want. Now, if you have a need for a new car, God will make a way for you to get it. It may not be a brand new car. It may not be a $100,000 car. (laughs) It may not even be the car you would choose. But nonetheless, it will be a vehicle that is dependable that you can use. Even if it's just for a short time to get you by till the next one. He never promised he would give us all that we wanted. But he did promise he would meet our every need. In America, we have needs and wants confused. (laughs) Very much so. Oh, I need a 60-inch flat TV. For what? (laughs) Well, I can't hardly see the one I got. Uh Uh-huh. I thought you had 
your vision gone out here. How can you see 60 inches? Well, I can't, but that's beside the point. <laughs> that's not what you need. It's what you want. We have to be careful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Isn't there a pistol named the peacemaker? <laughs> uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. How do you make peace? Come on, somebody tell me. How do you make peace? I can't hear you. Quit fighting. Quit fighting. Say I'm sorry. Yes. Say I'm sorry. Repent. Even if, even if you didn't do wrong sometimes, you still just go ahead and say I'm sorry so that they'll say it and you can bring healing. That's a peacemaker. You may not have been the one started it. You may not have done anything wrong. But sometimes you need to apologize anyway. So that you can change their heart and their mind and their way of thinking about you. And you know what? It's been my experience that sometimes, shortly after, sometimes years after, that person comes back to you and says, you know, I should have apologized to you. You didn't really do anything wrong. And they always appreciate it. Because they avoided this trap, this snare of having bitterness in their heart for all that time. Because you apologized when you did nothing wrong. Jesus did nothing wrong. And yet he paid. He made peace between us and God. He is our example. He is our example. And that's how we receive Peace. Jesus is peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted for doing the right thing. What do we see going on in the world today? The church. The, the, the thing is, is, is that we hear over and over again, the church is being blamed. Christians are being blamed. Uh, the, uh, Merrick Garland, whatever he is, whatever office he holds, he made a statement that those who are conservative Christians that voted for Trump are enemies of the state. That's how they look at us, folks. We're enemies of the state. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that, you know, this was a state. I thought this was a United States. <laughs> uh, that is a socialist comment. Don't go against the state or communist comment. More and more, as I read articles and news... Uh, people are talking about Christians being in the way. Why? We're stopping them from having all the fun they want to have. Uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned, who do they blame? Christians. Conservatives. Conservative Christians. All of these things because 
we are standing up for what God says is right. Not what I think is right, but what God says is right. And so because we are standing in the righteousness of God, they say we're in their way. Why? Because their goal is the opposite. Their goal is to please the devil and do whatever they want. Please themselves. Please the flesh. But he says, endure it. For those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't listen to their name calling when they did. Just go to God and say, Lord, bless them. Help them. Open their eyes. Open their ears. Let them hear the gospel and let them be able to receive the truth and be saved. So that they will not suffer in hell. Again, this should bring mourning, not anger. Because if you're truly righteous and merciful and loving of others, it breaks your heart to know they're headed to hell. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus says. And the response to that, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, he's saying, you're doing a good job. That's why they hate you so much like they hated me. You're suffering some of the same ways that I suffered. Keep it up. Keep it up. Because eventually, eventually, they will see the truth and have the opportunity to accept Christ. What happens if the church compromises? What happens if we stop standing on the truth of the word? What hope is there for salvation if people come to the church and they don't hear the truth? If people come to you when you're out and they don't hear the truth from you, you compromise. Oh, yeah, my... My, my son is gay, and so I have to say gay is okay. No, I don't. I still have to tell him it's wrong in the eyes of God, and I don't believe that that's the right way to live. What happens if you find out that somebody else in your family has had an abortion? You have to go to them and say, I'm praying for you, and if, if and when you get to need to talk about this, I'm here for you. Because almost always, afterwards, there is heartache. Sometimes it doesn't hit them for years. But there's almost always heartache. Jesus has laid down a pattern of life and a pattern of revival. We talked about revival back there this morning, the men. This is a pattern for revival. Because the more you turn to God, the more time we spend with God, the more our soul comes alive. The more our faith comes alive. The more we begin to live according to what we've been spending our time reading and studying. It's no different than when you spend time with certain people. Some people are so encouraging. They're so happy and so easygoing that when you spend a lot of time with them, you too become happy. You too feel better just because you're in their presence. And then there's the other kind of people. (laughs) 
You spend much time with them and you're ready to pull your hair out. They're always complaining. They've always got something wrong. There's always bad in their life. No matter what, you can point out to them, hey, you're still breathing. You can point out to them, hey, you're still being blessed. You still have a house. You still have this. You still have that. Oh, my life is miserable. I can't have everything I want. (laughs) I, I mean... And, and it just drags you down. It just literally sucks the life right out of you. Now, when you spend time with somebody like that, we need to go to God to get recharged. Otherwise, the devil is liable to enter into our thoughts and our minds that we too should complain. We should talk bad about that person. We should you know, gossip. No, gossip is the voice of the dragon. Who's the dragon? The serpent, the devil. <laughs> When you speak gossip, you're speaking with the tongue of the devil, with the tongue of the dragon. It brings fire and destruction. And it goes against everything that we just read and studied. So, you look at your life. And you look at what Jesus has said. How are we doing? Are we living up? To these ways? Are we trying to live up? Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are we merciful? Are we peacemakers? You know, do we live this way? And if not, why not? What's holding us back? And my recommendation is we spend a lot less time watching the TV and reading other things And get into the word of God and get on our knees before God. We say we want revival. How bad do we want it? Are we willing to, like Mike read this morning, are we willing to sacrifice? Give up some of our free time watching movies and doing this and that, things we want, so that we can pray for a revival and spend time in the word studying how revival comes? How bad do you want it? If you have a need this morning, just mind the Lord and come as we sing. Brother Wayne. Our hymn of invitation will be number 255. Anyone has a need, please come forward today.
Be seated, please. Brother Mitch, you have anything you want to add at this point? Uh, just uh, remember that uh, we have Bible study tonight at 5, and uh, try to remember the message. Yes, and remember um, for next week we're going to take up a love offering. Yes. Let's all remember that for next week. Yeah, junior offer. Let's see. I had... Uh, couple of additions to our prayer messes. I can do that. Uh, Brother Mitch, uh, Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch, God be with us all till we meet again. God.